This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. Good morning, Journey. (laughs) Five degrees outside, a little bit of snow, and you didn't win the lottery. So where else are you going to be, right? (laughs) And I'm certainly glad you're here. I hope you are too, because we have gathered here to praise God, to to look for him in a, for this past year, which ends today, and for the new year as well. Whether it's your first time or your thousandth time here, it is good that we can always connect with one another. In the seat back in front of you is a card like this, and we'd like to get your signature on that card. Just a little bit of information too, if you want to put anything on there, there's uh, opportunity for prayer requests or anything else that is happening around here that you want more information about, you can write it on that card. And you can either put that in the offering bags at the end of the service, or there are stands in the back as well where you can place those. Let's just open the day with a word of prayer. Our Father, we praise you for what you have provided for us this past year to bring us to this place that we might stand at the threshold of a new year, that we might walk on the journey to you. With each person here, Lord, I pray your blessings, your power at work in their life, that all of us will realize your greatness, your wonder, and the opportunity we have to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Christmas is over. And I don't know if for you, you just go, whoo, man, that was something, whether it was good or bad. <laughs> but whatever it is, we look now forward to the future. But in doing that, I don't want to leave Christmas behind. Yes, tomorrow is the new year. And with the new year always comes all of these things you hear, people making resolutions, and then in a couple of weeks breaking them. But we look forward to something starting over to something being new. As I've heard it said sometimes before, this is a new year. There can be a new you. Throw out the old. Bring in the new. I want to tell you, I am so tired of all that stuff, of making resolutions and then, of course, breaking them, (laughs) of hearing all of this stuff, the possibilities that can be, and then... Somehow along the way, it seems like we're disappointed. Yes, it's a new year. But what we really need is to understand who we are and to live that out more perfectly in our lives. To actually live who we are instead of trying to change something. To me, all this stuff about New Year has come down to a kid learning to play piano. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I took piano lessons for five years. Now, you need to take that very literally. I took lessons for five years. Once a week, I went and took a lesson. I didn't practice in between. (laughs) I was supposed to. So I can't play the piano. (laughs) But I did take lessons. And so there's this one particular kid taking lessons on the piano. And he's, he's learning this song. And so he starts out and he plays 10, 15 notes and makes a mistake. You know what you do? If you've ever taken piano lessons or any kind of music lessons, you stop, 
You start over and you play it louder. So he does that. He goes and makes it at the same point, makes the same mistake, stops again, and starts over again. And plays the, the, the first two measures and makes the same mistake and stops and starts over again. That's to me, that's the way it sounds when people start talking about New Year's. That we're going to stop everything and go back to the beginning and start over. We can't do that. And I don't think you really want to, do you? What we really need to do is move on. And yes, we can look back and see the mistakes we've made, but we need to get past those mistakes and move on to something new, to move on to what God really wants to do for us this year, to see what this year is going to bring. And I don't know about you, when you, when you look ahead at the new year, what do you really see? Are there things that you're dreading? Maybe there's something from 2017 that still lingers, if it's a problem or, or some situation in your life, and it's just something like, I just can't get over this. I don't know what this is. Or maybe you look forward to something new in 2018. There's going to be hope that's there. And that's really what I hope there is, that there is something that will bring a sense of vision, a sense of new life, a real sense of moving on. And the whole idea that I want to really, really want to talk about today is that we are living out who we are, that we are being the people that God made us to be. We're not going to leave Christmas behind, but let's take it with us. For the past four weeks, we've talked about the light of Christmas, the joy of Christmas, the hope of Christmas, the love of Christmas. We don't just simply forget about it now and start a new year. We want to live it out for the whole year, to be who God made us to be, that everything will be fulfilled in what God meant to do at Christmas. So for the past four weeks, we've been talking about all the, the Christmas stories, and I, I really want to emphasize one particular part of all these stories, and it's the fact that Jesus is king. Christmas means that Jesus is king, and we see this in all four Gospels. This is the, the very center of the message. Jesus came to be king over us. Now, sometimes you may have heard and maybe even have sung the song, the king is coming. And that's true in a certain way that he's coming again. But Christmas means that the king has already come. Jesus came to be king and he is king now. And so what does that mean for us? What does that mean for how we live I want to look at the Gospels, and these are the verses that we've been talking about for the last four weeks. These are the things that uh, the Christmas story is really all about. First, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, and he says to Mary, This child that you shall have shall sit on the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end from the very beginning. The angel announces to Mary, This is a king. Likewise, after Jesus is born, the Magi come into Jerusalem, and they're going to Jerusalem because that's the capital city. That's where the king lives. So they think they're going to find the, the new king, and they come in and ask the question, and it's the question that gets the whole town upset. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Herod, especially King Herod, was very upset by that. Because, you see, Herod was not born 
to be king. He was named king by the Roman Senate. He had a friend, a guy that you probably know, Mark Anthony. And actually, Herod was kicked out of the country. There was a coup, and uh, Herod had to flee for his life. He, he left Israel and went to Rome, met with his friend Mark Antony. Mark Antony saw an opportunity there. Mark Antony takes him to Octavius. Octavius and Mark Antony then go to the Roman Senate, and they all approve that Herod will be called king of the Jews. One problem. The Jews don't recognize him as king. So they give Herod a Roman legion, and and Herod goes back and fights with his soldiers and actually conquers the land and makes himself king. He was not born to be king. That's what's different about Jesus. He is born to be king. It's God's divine will for him to be king. Well, also, we see in the Gospel of Matthew this, this fantastic emphasis over and over again, especially in Matthew. It's in several of the Gospels, but especially in Matthew. He emphasizes that Jesus is the son of David. And that, again, is emphasizing this point that he is king. He shall reign. Just as his father David was king, Jesus will be king. In the Gospel of John, we see it in a little different terms. John emphasizes that Jesus is the son of God. And if we take that from a Jewish perspective, first of all, that simply means the king. In the Old Testament, we see, especially in the Psalms, where the king is called the son of God because he's, he's actually s- sitting, ruling in God's place. He is uh, supposed to be, anyway, administering God's justice. And they didn't always do that, but that was the idea. But then, in Roman terms, this is something else. Back to Octavius. You know, Octavius and Mark Anthony had this big battle for about 20 years until Octavius finally won and named himself Caesar again. And when he did that, he declared that his father, he was actually the adopted son of Julius Caesar, but his his father was divine. He made this decree stating, Julius Caesar is a god. So you know what that makes Octavius? Or he changed his name to Augustus as well. That makes him son of God. When the Christians are going around using these titles, they're using them on purpose. They have special meaning here. Jesus is the one who actually is in control of the universe, not Caesar. Yeah, not that guy in Rome with all of his legions. He doesn't control anything. Jesus is in control. Finally, we have on the day of Jesus' birth, the angels appear to shepherds out in the field. And the shepherds are scared to death. They don't know what's going on. But listen to what the angel says there. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Messiah, the Lord. Lord is also a very special term. And applying it to Jesus is very significant. It's it's, it's vital to understand that when they're saying Lord, they're not just being polite. In fact, later on... uh, years after Jesus, especially all through Asia Minor, we find this emperor's cult developing where they would make shrines to the emperor. Now that's not the only thing, but with the shrine came the requirement. Everybody in all the area, once a year, must come to the shrine, 
buy incense, throw it on the fire, and salute to Caesar and pledge your allegiance to Caesar, saying, Caesar is Lord. Kind of like saying Heil Hitler, that might be more familiar to us in our century. Same idea, same concept. That's where Hitler got it from, in fact. But Christians, Christians couldn't do that. But they were required to do this little thing. It was kind of like paying taxes, is what it was. So here they are, once a year, it's their time. They have to go, and they go to the altar. They buy their incense. They throw it on the fire, and they salute, and they say, Jesus is Lord. And they know what it would mean. At least they'll be arrested, probably punished, but possibly also put to death because it was seen as treason. They're claiming that someone else is Lord and not Caesar. Christians began to be seen as these very subversive, even revolutionary people, even though Christians never wanted to overthrow the government. That was never the intent. But people were afraid of them because they talked about this other God, this other king. I wonder what it's like for us. You know, in, in our society, we're not looked at with a whole lot of favor either. <laughs> but again, it's, it's not because we're trying to overthrow the government. I don't think we are, are we? <laughs> we're not trying to be subversive in society, but we do want to see a change in our world. And we are working for that change. We want to see that there is a difference. And yet I wonder, when the world looks at us, can they tell that there is a real difference in our life? We claim that Jesus is king, but do we live with Jesus as king of our life? That's what I want to say today, that we will be who we are, servants of the king. That we will live under the rule of Jesus and allow him to direct our lives, allow him to direct our entire steps. Here at Journey, we like to use a little footprints uh, emblem, and that, that's showing that we're on a journey, yes, but also that we are following something. We are following someone. We are following Jesus. We are following in his steps because he is our king. And so I want to ask you, when you, people look at your life, can they see the difference there? Can they tell that there is something different about you? Because you have named Jesus as king. He is Lord and not someone else. And I know, hopefully at least, that uh, people can look around and, and at us and they see that uh, we go to church on Sunday morning. We have a worship service. Maybe we attend a small group. Uh, we help out in different ways around the neighborhood. Uh, maybe shoveling snow yesterday, huh? Did you help out somebody, one of your neighbors or something? <laughs> or uh, reach out Lakota, Guatemala. We care about things like that, and we want to make a difference. That's a good start. But when people see our lives, can they see that there is something really different, that there is real change in our life, and that we are true followers of Jesus? I mean, it seems like, and I actually have some friends who are pastors, and they made this statement to me that they don't want to use the word Christian anymore because it's come to have such a negative connotation in our society. 
So I don't want to go out and, and claim to be a Christian. I'll claim to be a Christ follower. Well, I, I think that's a little playing with words a little too much. Christian is what we want to be, right? Christian truly means that we are following Christ, that we are his disciples. We are seeking his life in everything that we do. We uh, like to ask little kids, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Maybe, you know, kids five years old, ten years old. You know, a fireman or a policeman. I want to be president. Or maybe this week, the big thing is, I want to be a Jedi Knight. <laughs> and, at, you know, at five and at ten, we're not expecting that out of them. We know they have a long way to go. Fifteen even. But if someone gets to be 30 and we're still trying to ask them, what do you want to do with your life? There's something wrong there, isn't it? There needs to be some growth, some development that we are going beyond those early childhood things and growing up to be what God made us to be. We have to move on to maturity. Now, for us, physical maturity is, is going to come. We, we can't really stop that. <laughs> we might be able to slow it down if you starve somebody to death. They might not develop physically. But typically, your physical development is going to come. But not so much our emotional development, our mental development. That's why we go to school, right? And especially our spiritual development. We have to work on that. There has to be something that helps us grow. And it's even like, you know, the old story that men never grow up. <laughs> you know that. Women, wives especially, it's what you say, right? Men never grow up. They just play with different toys. You've heard that, haven't you? You act like you haven't heard that. <laughs> we have to take the right actions in order to actually mature, in order to actually grow up. And it's a matter centrally of being who God made us to be. I want to look at a passage of Scripture today from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a very complicated book, very uh, deep theological and especially because it, it, it tries, <laughs> the writer is, is Jewish and he's bringing the whole Old Testament background and talking about the difference that Jesus has made. In Hebrews chapter 6, he's laying out this principle then. Uh, in, in chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5, he's, he's been pretty intense about describing the changes that Jesus means to us. And then finally, in just a couple of short verses in chapter 6, he lays it out to the people and says, okay, this is what you need to do. This is what this means for you. This is what happens to you. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, let us move on to maturity, letting stand the elementary teaching about Christ, but not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of trust in God teaching about washings and laying on of hands, about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Move on. Move on. We do have a foundation. That foundation stands, and we do need to know that foundation. We have to be developed in that foundation. But once we have the foundation, we need to move on, not stop. There needs to be more about us, and he names these things in here. Uh, sometimes the repentance from dead works. I think sometimes we just get so caught up when something happens in our life, we repent. But does it change us? 
It seems like we get caught in this rut where we have to repent over and over and over again. That's what he's saying. When are you going to put that away? Go on. Move on to something new. Get beyond that problem in your life. Repent of it and move on. He deals with a couple of very uh, Jewish ideas, the washing and laying on of hands, that the important principles in, throughout the Old Testament that the Jews emphasized. But he's saying to them, Move on from those. Yes, continue, but move on from them. Develop something new in your life. The resurrection, uh, major breakthrough for Jesus. We talk about it, and we're heading that way toward Easter now. The resurrection, the most important point for us as Christians, the most important day in our Christian lives. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. And yet, I wonder if we really live our lives understanding the full meaning that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and with that same power that raised him, God will also raise us up. That's what he's saying here. Move beyond the simple things and find the mature understandings of what we need. Find the better actions. He also mentions their judgment. I know several people that uh, uh, came to, to Christ because, you know, they heard about hell. They didn't want to go to hell. So, well, I'll, I'll go to church and I'll buy my life insurance. My fire insurance, I should say, I guess. Huh? Buy my fire insurance so I don't have to go to hell. And if that was the doorway that brought you into Christ, there's nothing wrong with that. But we need to move beyond it. We need to move to the next level. We need to go on, and that's what he's saying here. Leave behind the first steps we took and take the deeper steps. Take the important steps that we really need. Now, when I read these verses, as as challenging as the author is is attempting to be in these verses, he is... uh, These two verses follow on after some other verses where he's been pretty harsh with the people. He's talked about the problems that they've had and come right out and said, you're immature little babies. (laughs) So in chapter 5 of Hebrews, verses 12 through 14, look at these verses that he says. Before he challenges them to maturity, he says this to them. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... Again, you need someone to teach you the first lessons about God's resolutions. And again, you need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is unlearned with the deed of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who have trained their faculties through constant use to discern good from evil. And he's talking about how a baby must have only milk until we actually get weaned and we start them off on solid food. The same with us as Christians. And yet, are we just still stuck drinking the milk, spiritual milk, instead of going on and, and eating real, solid, spiritual food? I hope not. That's the challenge for us, to truly grow up, to be the people that God has called us to be. I hope in 2018 that we can live out God's resolution for us. 
The things that God has done in our world, the words that God has declared. We don't need to make our own resolutions. No, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but if you want to make those resolutions, you can. And just wonder how effective they are for many people. But if we would follow God's resolutions for our life and then to bow to him and say, you are king of my life. But how do we do that? How do we actually live with Jesus as king? Because I think that's hard for us to understand, and especially us, U.S. We don't really understand, I don't think, the real impact of a king because after all we had a revolution to get rid of the king we didn't want a king we thought we were better off without the king so why would we talk about Jesus as king and I think for me anyway especially uh, the uh, first the book and then probably two dozen literally two dozen movies have been made about the three musketeers and in that story in the movies Uh, It comes out so very strong of what this image of a king at least is supposed to be, what a king can be, what we hope a king will be. You have these musketeers who are pledging their lives in service to the king, and they will go out and die for the king. And yet at a couple points through through any of the the stories that are, are there, you'll see them start to question that. Say, why am I doing this? This king is corrupt. This king isn't doing what he should do. And typically they'll come back and say, yes, but we are doing this for what a king can be, for what a king should be, for what we hope a king will be. We have this ideal image of a king who is benevolent and kind, who works to support his people. That king is Jesus. That king is why Jesus came. He came to be that king, the ideal king, the king who will rule over all this world in peace and love, bringing us hope and joy. That's what Jesus means to us, that he is king of all. So two things that I want to suggest for us as we try to live out what this means for us. How do we live out for Jesus to be king. And first of all, it's to build on that foundation. It's the right actions that we need. We, we have the foundation that is laid for us. Let's build on that foundation. Whether we have to uh, start maybe for the first time or develop something else, that we are going to go on and actually live out the foundation that has been laid for us. For the rest of January, we'll be talking about some of these vital pieces that we have in our life. Um, First, reading the Bible. How central that is to us. And uh, don't wait, that's that's next week, but don't wait till next week. You can start tomorrow. Did you know that you can read through the Bible in a year by taking about 15 minutes a day, about three chapters, something like that. And at that pace, you can read through the entire Bible in one year. That's not very much of a commitment, is it? It hit slow, steady pace. I first heard that. I think I was 14, and I said, I'm going to do that. So I started out January 1st, read the first three chapters of Genesis. You know, start page one, right? Start page one and read all the way through, and I probably went a couple weeks, and uh, then something happened. I missed a day. Then I got, oh, got to make up for that. So you read six chapters the next day. And then uh, anyway, I 
got to Leviticus, and I got stuck. <laughs> I said, I don't even want to read this stuff. <laughs> but I muddled my way through. I made up for the things that I missed, and I actually eventually read through the entire Bible by October that year. But so what I'm really saying there, it might not be the best idea to start at page one and read straight through. <laughs> but if you go to youversion.com, y-o-u-version.com, they have several different kinds of Bible reading plans, and they'll even track them for you. You can go in and check off. I've done that part. And it'll, they'll take you through the Bible section by section. That'd be a great way to start tomorrow, to read through the Bible, whether you've done it before or just time to do it again. Prayer. Prayer is vital for us. Prayer is our lifeblood. Prayer is the beat of our heart. It's the breath of our body, breath of our soul. We connect with God. We need a personal prayer time. We need family prayer time. Maybe a prayer partner, somebody that we can truly talk about issues with and pray over them with one another. Fasting is another one. Fasting over special needs. Uh, service that we do in some way that we are actively working to improve, whether it's our neighbor or our world, that we are helping other people. To be in a small group, to be in a large group like this, to be in community, that's vital for us as Christians. And finally, underlying it all is the worship that we have for God, the time that we spend in worship. Maybe that means singing. Do you sing? Uh, take a, uh, one of those old books that we call hymnals. I like to do that still. <laughs> Go through a hymnal, sing some of the songs that I can remember. Or you Spotify Create your own list of songs and uh, worship that way. Worship through the Psalms. Read, read the Psalms, especially as you're reading through the Bible. Take the Psalms and use them for your worship. Christmas truly means worship. That's what the shepherds did when the angels announced to them that there is a new Savior. That's what the Magi did when they were coming to find Jesus. Bow down and worship him. Worship is vital to our life as Christians. Well, secondly, it's not just doing the things that we know to do, like prayer and Bible study and those other things. There needs to be something more for us, doesn't there? And for each of us, that might be a different thing. It might be something, uh, you know, from me to you, very different kind, but there needs to be some kind of a better action that we are taking, something that we are doing differently. You know the definition of insanity, right? Another old thing you probably recognize. Insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, they don't come that way. You have to do something different in the beginning. It takes something different, something new, Something that is better. I heard this week one of the news programs was saying that the number one resolution for 2018 is that I want to be a better person. Not a bad idea, but how would you know if you ever got there? What are you going to do to actually be a better person? I mean, it's so vague that nobody would ever know, would they? I guess that's a resolution you can't break. <laughs> 
But there needs to be something more, doesn't there? There needs to be something different, something intentional that we are doing. Something that we want to show the world that Jesus is king in the way that we worship, in the way that we serve, and our lives are, as lived in obedience to Jesus the king, to be who we are, servants of the king. Christian, that term that was first used back in Acts chapter 11, who are those people? Oh, those are just, those are just Christians. It was used as a derogatory term, pejorative. Ah, they're Christians. Get rid of them. We don't want them. But it was a term that became something special to us, a name that means something to us. Because we are following Christ. We are living our lives in obedience to Jesus, our King. There's a story about Alexander the Great. Who knows if it's true or not, but it just one of those legends that's come down through time. Uh, Alexander the Great, probably at least one of the greatest generals, if not the greatest general ever in the history of humanity, conquered almost the entire world within a 10-year period of time, at least the world as he knew it. To do that, he had to have a very well-disciplined, well-trained army. They had to obey every command explicitly, and any disobedience was immediately punished. Well, the story is that Alexander the, uh, the Great, one night, was in his tent. All these soldiers camped around him as they're preparing to move on toward the next battle. But he can't sleep. So he gets up, and he starts to walk around the, uh, the tents of his army. And he comes across a soldier who is supposed to be on guard duty. But the soldier has fallen asleep. Now, that typically meant instant death. The punishment for falling asleep on duty was that they would be put to death. You probably also remember the story of, of Jesus' tomb, that the soldiers guarding it, they came back and claimed that they had fallen asleep and the disciples came and stole Jesus' body. Well, if they had truly fallen asleep, their punishment would have been death. So you, there's something wrong with that story right from the very beginning. Same way here. Here you had this soldier. He fell asleep and Alexander the Great walks up to him. And he must sense somehow that somebody is near. He hears the noise or something and he kind of wakes up and he looks up and he sees that it's Alexander the Great. The leader of the army. The king of the land. And he knows he's in for. There is no hope for him. And Alexander sees him and says, son, stand up. What are you doing? And the boy tries to apologize. So Alexander goes on and says, tell me your name. And the boy kind of mumbles a little bit. My name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great says, what? What is your name? Alexander, sir. Are you telling me that your name is Alexander? And the boy says, yes, sir. And Alexander the Great gets in this rage, just this <laughs> temper tantrum, basically. And he turns to him and says, either you change your name or you change your ways. 
We are called Christians. And it's because we follow Christ. Let us live up to that name. To live up to be the people that God has called us to be. That we will live with Jesus as king. Following him in all our ways. Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for what you provide for us in Jesus, for the love that you show us in Jesus, for the power that you have in our life to work and change our lives through Jesus. And so, Father, we come here today to offer ourselves to you as we begin to start another year so that you may have your way, so that this world may see you living in this church and in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.